Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Hello and welcome back to FT Science. This week, we hear the sound of science. And we learn that the sense of smell may have stimulated brain evolution in our mammalian ancestors 200 million years ago. There have been some animals that have gone back into the water and lost their sense of smell. And as this happens, their olfactory genes turn off, the olfactory bulbs get smaller, and their sense of smell is reduced. So as complex as the brain may be, this correspondence between size and function is uh, one simplifying factor. I'm Clive Cookson, and you're listening to FT Science. Our regular guest, Diana Garnham, Chief Executive of the UK's Science Council, is in the studio with me. And we have an occasional theme on FT Science of science and the arts. So our special guest this week is the young American composer Bill Doherty who is currently a postgraduate at the Royal College of Music here in London. Now, you've been chosen by the Royal College of Music and the Science Museum to compose a piece for the Sound of Science Day at the museum on June the 19th. It's a brass quintet, which you've called In Time. Tell us first what inspired the work. So when I first was approached to do this project, I was really enthusiastic because science is so much a part of music, as any composer will tell you, and math uh, more specifically. But walking into the Science Museum for the first time, I had this wonderful array of possibilities of not only sound spaces, but also themes that I could play off of. They have a large room on energy, and energy is so much a part of music. And they were discussing the possibility of they're going to have an exhibit on early electronic music in Britain and more specifically uh, Daphne Oram and her influence on early British electronic music. So my initial idea was, yes, I'm going to do an electronic piece. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to have speakers all over the place and it's, it's going to be great. But on our tour, we pass by this large clock that just so happens to ring every 15 minutes very loudly and very obnoxiously. And all the tour guides and members of the staff are usually a bit perturbed. I think we've got a clip that you brought that we can hear now. The clock.
That is a wonderful sound. It's a very ancient clock, isn't it? Yes, the uh, Wells Cathedral bells from 1392, although they were reconstructed in the 1800s, I believe. But the mechanism itself dates back to 1392, which is extremely old. Almost every medieval artifact in this country you'll find was reconstructed (laughs) in the 18th or 19th century. So you took that, and what did you do with it? Well, I decided that I would base the whole quintet around those two pitches that the bells ring and that loud cranking sound that happens after the two bells ring. So all of my rhythmic material will be derived from that. And then all my melodic material would be based off of. And so the whole piece is this evolution of this material as derived from the clock. But I didn't want to just do something externally musical, something like that, where it's just these two ideas because it's too abstract. I wanted it to firmly be rooted in the one exhibit, which is an exhibit on time and an exhibit below it on the evolution of technology from, I believe, the early 1800s to today. And so I wanted to tie the music in with not only time, but the evolution of technology itself. So the piece opens with the clock. the opening and that occurs when the bells ring and they're played with the bells and so i wanted that to represent technology as it is today as this very complex very fast moving intricate machine and a bit in your face you can't get away from it it's all over the place immediately after this presentation of this this loud very fast moving material i strip everything of its complexities to the bare essentials, which is this rhythm as inspired by the cranking of the clock and the two intervals of the two pitches played by the clock. And then this is what slowly evolves throughout the piece. This is this is the technology itself. This is the the evolution of technology um, slowly emerging, slowly becoming more and more complex, slowly developing throughout time. And so those bare essentials sound like this. So what I do, although it would be nice and it would be simple, I should have, maybe I should have done this, but it would have been simpler to just have this slowly evolve and then have it evolve back into the opening. But that would be too straightforward for me. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to kind of like a Mobius strip where it twists and turns. And while it does come back to the beginning, just like I feel technology does in a way. So the goal of the piece was to show that technology throughout the ages, while it's evolving and it's constantly evolving, it's for a certain purpose. And it's the same purpose the whole time. Just like in a Mobius strip, when you get around to the other point, you're at the same point. And that point is that technology is here to better our lives, to allow us to communicate with human beings better in order for us to come together. How long is the whole piece then? Uh, Six to seven minutes, depending on how fast we go. The pieces you brought were from rehearsals yesterday, is that right? Yes. 
Diana, did you know that there was such an undercurrent of maths and science going on in the world of composition? I did, actually. And in fact, an awful lot of people who study composition have got a maths A-level or have studied maths at university, so that's not a surprise. And interesting, they also say you should listen to music, repetitive music like Bach or Mozart, mm. to improve your ability of your brain to think. So these two do come together. Do you, do you visualise it as well? Oh, certainly. While I don't have synesthesia specifically, I do, like for instance, if I go into an art museum, one of my favorite painters is Mark Rothko, these huge, wonderful, colorful blocks of paint. And when I look at those, especially the dark blue ones, I hear sounds. It's, it's very much a color sound tie. Do you see more of your work, now you've really got into science and technology yeah. explicitly as an inspiration, do you see yourself doing more work of this sort? Well, actually, it's funny you should ask. Just before this piece, I premiered a piece at the Royal College of Music called Breaking News, which was a piece that used actually technology in order for audiences to interact with the music on a one-to-one basis. There was a an ensemble that was in the concert hall, and it was streamed live on the internet. And throughout the concert, audience members voted on how they wanted the piece to unfold as it was being performed. These results were sent live to the audience on a projector, at which point the conductor, who was me, instructed the audience to change as based off of these results that were given. So I love technology, and I want it to be used to bring us closer together, to bring people closer to music and to bring the audience in a new way. Do you think that the science community ought to do more to enable people to relate to science and technology by using music to create the right atmosphere and mood and perhaps bring it closer? I think that anything that brings people closer to science and to music, I think there's been a a bit of a problem in the 20th century of leaving people on the outside when you want people to be involved, you want them to have an interest. And to do that, I think a, a great way to do that is to bring arts together with music, whether it's visual art or music and technology, to bring people closer. And I couldn't agree more. <laughs> anyway, you can hear In Time at the Sound of Science Day at the Science Museum on Sunday, June the 19th, together with a range of family-oriented events. And you can find out more on www sciencemuseum.org.uk Now, let's move on from sound and hearing to the sense of smell. Over to Nadia Ramligan in Washington for our monthly contribution from AAAS and its journal Science. Thanks, Clive. The brain is the most complex organ in the human body. A paper published in the latest issue of Science reports that the development of a sense of smell in pre-mammals jump-started the evolution of the mammalian brain. Paleontologist Tim Rowe from the University of Texas at Austin is here to talk about these pre-mammals. Well, pre-mammals are our first cousins. They're our extinct relatives, and these are the animals that lead up to the most recent common ancestors that uh, living species of mammals all share. Your study seems to suggest that, based on the size of these fossils, a sense of smell pushed the pre-mammalian brain into a more advanced mammalian stage. How do you know that a larger brain size leads to an increase in brain function? Well, size and and function are closely coupled. By studying the neuroanatomy of living species, we've seen that uh, size of a neural region and their function closely correspond. 
And so, for example, the animals that have bigger olfactory bulbs have more olfactory genes that are active, and this signals an increase in olfactory sensitivity. And the other side of that coin is there have been some animals that have gone back into the water and lost their sense of smell. And as this happens, their olfactory genes turn off, the olfactory bulbs get smaller, and their sense of smell is reduced or lost altogether. So as complex as the brain may be, this correspondence between size and function is uh, one simplifying factor that as a paleontologist I can really take into the fossil record and, and, and use to study the sensitivity of different sensory modalities in fossils. Finally, how can this information help us understand our own brains? The sense of smell is, is just very, very important to people today in so many different contexts. Your child, your mate, your food, your home, so many things about the health of the individuals around you and the health of the environment around you is, is signaled by a sense of smell. And I think that these behaviors, as a result of this study, we, we can track them back now nearly 200 million years and we can understand that the huge complexity of the sense of smell in our lives is complex in part because the history is so deep. That's paleontologist Tim Rowe from the University of Texas at Austin. For AAAS, I'm Nadia Ramlagan. Back to you, Clive. Thanks, Nadia, and thanks to AAAS and science. It's very interesting because although the paleontologists there were saying how important smell is to us, I would say it's the most neglected of the five human senses. Certainly there isn't much in the way of art being made out of smells, is there? Actually, funny you should say that. <laughs> a colleague of mine was just talking about how he wants to do a concert where he integrates smell into the work in addition to visuals and music, of course, because smell is, yeah, like you said, it's one of the most neglected senses, and why not give the, the audience member the full experience? It's a great idea. Yeah. Diana? I really wanted to ask him, why did smell kickstart this change? And I thought that's a very mm. important unanswered question, but very important for our safety and for a lot of animals in terms mm. of smelling what they eat, smelling fear, smelling their environment around them, warning signs, so clearly an important sense. I think that's all we have time for today, unfortunately. Please join us again next week. All that's left for me now is to thank Diana Garnham and Bill Doherty for coming into the studio and Nadia Ramligan for the AAAS contribution. And thank you for listening. FT Science was produced by LJ Filatrani. I'm Clive Cookson. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. confidence starts with loving who you are and when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside you naturally radiate confidence from the inside give your skin a glow up with osea's clinically proven mega moisture duo this ultra hydrating body care features two of osea's best sellers undaria algae body oil and undaria collagen body lotion these seaweed powered heroes use skincare level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty free, and climate neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. 
Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW. The latest episode of The Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Bryant, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.